This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, sponsored by Soundring. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, ever-present to bring you an insightful, inspiring, interesting, engaging conversation with people who are creating awesome stuff within the independent music-slash-art world. And the guest this week is Mr. Phil Jamieson, or Jamieson. Of course, why would I be professional and ask how he pronounces his last name? I don't know why, I just feel, I, I either forget or I feel awkward asking, but... But instead, then I'll butcher their name in the intro. So there we go. But Phil Jamieson, or Jamieson, (laughs) from Caspian, a band from the Boston area who has existed for quite some time, is quite prolific as well. They've got a a lot of records underneath their belt, a lot of EPs, even a live record. And um, I just remember discovering them and falling in love with them immediately. They definitely fall into the sort of you know, post-rock genre, which we, we, we discuss uh, at length in the interview um, because, you know, maybe that's not the, the most accurate portrayal of, of the band, but a really, really hardworking. And uh, you could tell that the band is kind of reaching sort of a creative renaissance with not only the last couple records, but more people are coming out to their shows. And it's just exciting to feel like a band who has been working for so long, for so hard, is finally receiving that, you know, that recognition that, um, you know, they understandably aren't um craving but you know when they get it it's like hey that's great and that's that's my conjecture you know maybe they obviously want to be as big as like you too um but you know anyways i digress but i'm very excited to bring this conversation with phil but um i want to get through some some business things and some other uh items of of importance for me to share with you um, first of all, there's been a lot of feedback recently on the show um, from people emailing me, leaving nice reviews on iTunes, and I really, really appreciate that because, you know, I'm putting myself out here in some respects, and, um, you know, some people beat up on me um, where they're like, hey, dum-dum, how about you just let the interviewer talk, or how about you don't make these uh, intros, and, you know, I, I get it, but, th- I mean, ultimately, this is my show, and if you don't like it, that's fine, please don't listen to it, um, or maybe just fast-forward this, you know, f- five to eight minute preamble and just listen to the interview. That's fine. If you do that, I obviously don't care. And plus I don't know. Um, or actually maybe I do, maybe I just track all of your phones. Maybe I'm like big brother is watching, but no, I'm not. But anyways, thank you very much for the people who do feel the, uh, extra effort to go above. And like I said, write me or leave a nice review. I really do appreciate that. So, um, I'm going to focus on two negative things and then I'll, I'll kind of close it out on two positive things. But uh, I feel I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Paris attacks. Um, most of you have obviously heard at this point, uh, there was a huge terrorist attack on, uh, I want to say it was November 13th. I could be completely wrong on the date, but um, it was horrific. Um, and what is even um, more, I guess, I don't know if I call it bizarre, but um, it affected the independent music world as well because um, there was an attack on a music venue. And so just imagine yourself going to like, you know, a concert or a show and then um, having 80 people die around you. Um, I think that was the final toll. I again, I'm just going off the top of my head, not doing the research, but um, it's it was horrible. And um, you know, one of them was the merchandise manager for the band Eagles of Death Metal, and 
it's yeah, it, it's just so so sad. And um, everybody that was affected from that, from either you know people like myself who are just literally consuming the media and being like, oh my gosh, this is horrific. To anybody, it has affected on a on a deep deep level. I'm I'm so sorry. I've no other words. And like I said, just because it has affected our community, not only from an independent music perspective, but just humanity in general. Um, just hold your loved ones that much closer uh, and realize that. Our time on this this weird planet, regardless of what you believe, um, is is so bizarre. We have so many different experiences, and then when you see this, uh, you know, this humanity just pointed right back at you, that you could be taken off this uh, this mortal coil, as they say, um, so quickly. It just, uh, yeah, it makes you kind of appreciate the things, the finer things in life, a little bit more, and that's what it made me do. So, um, and on another somber note as well is uh, a previous guest of the show. His name is Jonathan Vigil. He sings for a band called The Ghost Inside. Uh, I've known him forever. Um, his band got in a very, very severe bus accident. Um, news is still coming out as I'm recording this. Um, I know that all of the band members have survived. Unfortunately, the driver of their bus uh, did not, and the person who hit them in the semi-truck did not survive. So um, it, it, you just hate to hear these stories um, because, I mean, you see them um, happen a decent amount, unfortunately, where bands, because they spend so much time on the road, um, they're, just statistically speaking, um, there will be accidents. And um, I just really, really hope that obviously all of the members, um, they are alive, some of them are in critical condition, um, but that they will pull out and then be able to, um, yeah, just reevaluate uh, where, <laughs> where, where their priorities are and be able to uh, move forward and hopefully be creating music soon again, because ultimately that's why they were doing it out there on the road to begin with. So um, my deepest, sincere, heartfelt outpouring of emotions goes to everybody who's been affected by that as well. Um, just because it's like, I mean, it, it affects, it affected me deeply because I've known, uh, like I said, Jonathan Singer or Vigil, as most people know him, uh, for quite some time. And he's always been a great person to me. So, um, yeah, it just makes me sad when I read about that stuff. So anyways, like I said, shifting to a more positive note, um, I wanted to talk to you about a, uh, a thing that this show is a part of called the Jabberjaw Media Network, or not even that, but Jabberjaw Media. So visit the, that website, jabberjawmedia.com. Um, and you'll be able to find out about all of the other amazing shows that we are now connected to as a sort of mothership. Um, but I wanted to, over the course of the next couple of weeks, I wanted to highlight some of these shows in particular. And one of them is from my good friend Tom Mullen, who does a podcast called Washed Up Emo. Now, those of you who are probably familiar because you had maybe listened to an episode that Tom and I did maybe about two months or so ago. Um, and it was a great conversation. But Tom focuses in, on the amazing genre of, of emo and focuses on the, you know, mid to late 90s, and then, um, you know, also kind of talks about when that wor word got kind of uh, co-opted and put to uh, a whole different meaning, um, but then also focuses in on the sort of resurgence of that style of music over the past five to eight years. He just does incredible work, and it's really fun, and uh, yeah, I suggest that you take out that time, because, you know, he's not putting out episodes on the daily. He's putting them, like, maybe once or twice a month, so I think you'll have the time to be able to uh, consume that. So, Visit JabberjawMedia.com and then listen to the Wash Up Emo podcast. I love Tom and I love his show. So, yay. And one last thing before we dove into uh, my preamble about Phil is that I get a lot of emails in regards to how do you record your podcast? How do you get your stuff on iTunes? And the simplest thing that I tell people, like I've been involved with this service and I've been doing the show for you know close to four years now. I, I can't, I lose track of the timing, but... The 
most prevailing thing that has stayed the same ever since I started to record podcasts back in like 2010 was a company. And the company is called Buzzsprout. So there's a million options out there in regards to how you can host your podcast, how you can get it on iTunes, and how you can get it out to the world. Buzzsprout to me is just so simple, easy, amazing to deal with, very low cost. And um, the thing that I like the most about them is, uh, you know, they have they have an embedded player that you can post on any website. But the thing I like the most is the fact that they don't charge. There's no sliding scale on charges. So it's like if you want to put out four hours of audio a month, they're going to charge you X amount of dollars, regardless of how many downloads you get. So you could get 100 downloads, you can get 100,000 downloads, and they're not going to be like, oh, we got to charge you more because there's more bandwidth. So they keep that cost very low. Don't pass it along to you, and it's an incredible service. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, I suggest you go to buzzsprout.com backslash 50, the number five zero, and then you'll be able to get half off of your first month. It's incredible. So do that because, like I said, I love the company. I've been with them since uh, you know day one of my... <laughs> I was going to say podcasting career, whatever, whatever that means. But I've been there, I've been with them since day one, and I love their service. So yes, visit buzzsprout.com backslash 50 and jump on it. It's a great deal. So Phil from Caspian, great conversation. Just loved the dude from like 10 minutes into it. I could tell he was really engaged. He was excited to do the show, and I love to speak with people who love this sort of long-form format. And um, yeah, great story. Just, just check out Caspian. Like, if you like intricate guitar music that creates a very wide palette in which you can either be contemplative, you can either be really engaged, or you can just simply listen to his background noise. Like, it, it runs the gamut. And that's why I love a band like Caspian, because um, they're so versatile, and it's awesome. So here's my discussion with Phil. Listen to Caspian, and I'll talk to you after the break. remember, I think it was right around, um, I would say mid-2000s, uh, I just became obsessed with the notion and idea of, uh, you know, like post-rock, whatever that may be. So it's just like, you know, I got keyed into mm-hmm. explosions in the sky, mono, all that sort of stuff, because I was really, really into ISIS. And so I started to, you know, explore other avenues. Um, and then I remember uh, a friend of mine uh, told me to listen to you guys, and he was like, yeah, basically, it's kind of like hardcore kids getting super experimental. I can get with that. That's yeah, cool. Which I was like, I was like, oh, like, I'll, I'll, I'll check this out. Um, do, do you think that's kind of a uh, – obviously, it sounds like you're agreeing with me. Do you think that was an accurate representation of kind of what you guys were, uh, you know, birthed? It's funny. Out? I mean, you know, we did, we did get that a lot. In the early days, and it's weird because, like, none of us were coming from any kind of hardcore background at all. Like, we all appreciated some hardcore records, but all the music that we were involved in creating prior to Caspian was kind of, yeah, it was definitely a bit on the lighter side. Cal was doing a lot of, like, folky kind of stuff and getting into loop pedals. I was in a sort of like an indie alternative band that was sort of like Pedro the Lion meets Pearl Jam or something. Um, 
and Joe was just like a, like straight up into like techno. He was in a band that was just like doing live sort of New Deal, Daft Punky kind of stuff before it was popularized, I guess. And yeah, so none of us were coming from that pedigree, but we did get that. And I think, you know, we, we always had a desire to do heavy music from day one. And we all certainly, you know, were raised on some heavier stuff. But yeah, none of us, we didn't come into the band with like jean jackets with pins and vans and stuff. You know what I mean? It was more just like we were a bunch of sensitive, emotional post-college kids. And then we discovered post-rock maybe a little bit. I discovered post-rock in 2002. Um, And then, yeah, it was off to the races with that, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. Well, that, that's cool. I always, uh, I like when people, I mean, describing all of your music tastes like that, it's just, uh, it's always funny because that's usually how bands that, I guess, last longer form, where it's like, it isn't just like one <laughs> kind of typical person. You're just kind of like, oh, well, like this guy is like, I know him and he plays guitar. He's not necessarily into the same stuff as me, but I guess we can kind of yeah. play together and see if it works. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it, dude, for sure. <laughs> it's like out of uh, necessity to find players rather than like function, where it's like, all right, I need to find a guy that's like super into minor threat so he can emulate them. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't, it wasn't like a posting on Craigslist or like a, you know, grab a phone number at the practice space from something hanging on the wall kind of thing. You know, it was, there was definitely friendships established and we were just all kind of birds of a feather. Like our, the college we went to was a little bit smaller. I think there were maybe 130, 140 people in our sort of small liberal arts school. So everyone kind of knew each other and you knew who the musicians were and you knew who, you know, like the sports dudes were and everyone kind of got along and were friends. And it was really kind of different than high school. It was just a really nice sort of open, friendly, social thing. And we all knew each other from that. That sort of established the connection. And yeah, one thing led to another longer yeah. story but yeah yeah no that's cool I, I like you describing that experience because it i i went to like a small uh lutheran high school and i think my entire high school was like you know 700 people so this was like yeah you know it was small comparatively speaking to other schools and i that you the experience you just spoke about is exactly what i had as well and i love you know nice, it's like, right yeah it's so great because yeah even though like you mentioned there are people with differing interests you kind of all like you know you had your corner and you respected it you didn't have this like us versus them mentality yeah we got i feel like it, at gordon where we went i mean the general vibe just kind of felt like everyone kind of got that out of their system in high school um a lot of people coming from public schools myself included um and, you know, there were, my high school was your, your classic Massachusetts, you know, North Shore, Tri-Town, lots of factions, lots of different like in crowds and out crowds. And there were the geeks and there was, it's just like a kind of like a, that, you know, the eighties movie where it's like, oh, that's the nerd. Like that's the jock. And they all acted sort of according to the archetypes, you know what I mean? Um, and I just sort of, I didn't really, I, I've always been kind of, I guess, like a super shy person and high school was sort of a time in life where I just was very withdrawn. I was, I was, I mean, I didn't really have, I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't go to prom. I didn't have like, you know, a massive circle of friends. Uh, I kind of just kept to myself and like listened to Led Zeppelin and went camping. That's like all I did in high school, man, like straight up. Um, I, I picked up a guitar freshman year of high school after watching like a Led Zeppelin tape VHS tape and I was like I think I want to do that and I just got I, I sort of 
yeah, just sort of withdrew from the outside world and just sort of sat in my basement and set up a mirror and watched myself play the guitar in the mirror every night, you know, pretty mm-hmm. vain. And then like, just wasn't really tapped in, I guess, to like the classic American high school ethos, so to speak. It was a little bit, I, I don't know, there was something that was just kind of unapproachable and a little scary about it to me. I was always afraid of being judged and all that, you know, emo sensitive shit. But like, college came around and like I said, it kind of, it kind of felt like maybe some of the other folks at that school were coming from the same place. And like I said, we got it out of the system and everyone was just like, you know, let's just hang out and enjoy this and kick it. And it was really, for me, it was a really wonderful sort of social explosion. You know, it's like, Oh, I can date a girl. This is really cool. You know, like we can kiss. (laughs) How about that? Totally. Oh, there's, there's other dudes that I can play music with. I don't have to do it just by myself. This is awesome. You know what I mean? And it was, it was funny too, because it was, it's like a small liberal arts Christian school. And, that was, I mean, I waited until I got to like a religious uh, institution to like drink my first beer and have my first cigarette. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. It's like kiss, the- kiss my first girl. It was it was pretty hilarious, but I, I, I certainly wasn't alone in that. I think it was a lot of people discovering, um, discovering themselves, how they function socially, and yeah, it was it was very pleasant, man. It, yeah. it was a nice experience, you know. No, it's cool. I, mean, I think you kind of hit on a key component that I think a lot of people, um, you know, feel when they, even as an adult, where it's like you're introduced to certain situations where you don't feel um, the, the ability to plug in. And I mean, I think you kind of skirted yeah. around that that word, but like, yeah, you didn't feel like you could insert yourself into anything in high school that would, um, you know, either make you feel comfortable or make sense. And you know, I think that's obviously why a lot of people. Um, you know, gravitate towards a particular like music scene or whatever. But obviously, since you, were, right. like you said, just you know, uh, I, I don't mean to paint the picture of uh, you, like you said, playing in front of your mirror. Oh, um, go for it! But, yeah, man, have, like have a day. Right, <laughs> but just that, just that notion of like you, you couldn't plug in, so you're just like, well, I'm, I'll just do this thing on my own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, for sure. It was a very kind of like isolated experience, and it you, was it was did, nice. But did you? Uh, so did you find yourself? Um, like because of that sort of, you know, uh, isolation, like, did you feel, uh, very, uh, I guess, introspective or like, were you, were you to kind of, yeah, just, just... for sure. But okay. that, that came natural. I mean, I've always been a super introspective person. I've always kind of been that guy who looks like they have too much on their mind and maybe it pisses some people off or maybe some people like think it's fine. Uh, it's, that's always just sort of, I, I don't want to call it a burden. Um, but that I mean, from day one, that's kind of always been, I guess, like my general demeanor, and that's always just sort of what's come natural. Um, so yeah, I think like yeah, pretty much. Got it. Um, and so, were you were you born and raised in the sort of Massachusetts area, or did you come? Uh, I was born in Denver, and my parents met at Colorado State University. My mom born and raised in the Rockies. My dad was from Florida, and they met up there in Fort Collins and lived there till I was three. And my father's sister at the time was suffering uh, from cancer. So my parents moved out to Massachusetts for, you know, it was supposed to be kind of temporary. Um, and, you know, she held on a little bit longer than they were expecting. And by the time she eventually passed, we had sort of established some roots here and they decided to just stick it out here. So I was probably... I would, like maybe four and a half when my folks sort of pulled the trigger on Massachusetts and were just like, let's do it. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I mean, 
I would go back to Colorado a couple times every year, see my mom's family, um, sort of spread my wings a little bit. But I, I mean, I, yeah, I would say that I'm uh, I'm a New Englander through and through at this point. You know, right, right. No turning back now. Yeah. Um, and so, what was your family structure like? I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, your mother and father. Did you have any brothers and sisters? I had three younger sisters. Uh, my sister Tally is 18 months younger than I, and then I have a sister Kate. And a younger sister Joanna, Jojo, um, all of whom are six foot tall. I'm six foot seven. My father's six nine. So yeah, it runs in the family for sure. Um, I didn't. I I mean, I've I've seen you guys play before. I think I saw. I can't remember exactly when I saw you guys, but but you played one year at the fest, if I'm not mistaken, in Gainesville. Yeah, man, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, but I I, I got that you were tall, but it didn't register six foot seven. I mean, that's like a. Yeah, you're not. I mean, you obviously have to play basketball. Like that's kind of what you have to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's high. what I that's what I grew up doing. You know, a hundred percent, man. Like that was I was all about basketball. My dad was sort of like my little personal coach, and just every summer I just spent you know three months of summer at basketball camps all over New England, just sort of at Dartmouth or Holy Cross or whatever. Um, and that was the thing, and I'll never forget it. And like, I guess, well, I mean. I don't. I I probably like won't forward this podcast to my parents. I guess it's, um, it's, it's okay. We can we can we can speak freely. No, nothing. Yeah. Cool. I I remember the moment you know perfectly well in high school where I think it was yeah it was my freshman year, and I had just tried out for the basketball team and I made the team and I was pretty stoked and I was I went downtown to our small pretty small town that I grew up in and. You know, after school, you'd go down to the candy store and people would hang out and you'd just chill, whatever. And I would be sitting around kind of awkward. And I remember some of my some of some of my friends, these folks I knew, ripped out a big, like massive joint, right? And they lit it up and they were like, "Jameson wouldn't touch this, man. Jameson's a wimp." Blah blah blah. So I went over and I just ripped it out of their hands and I just took a puff and I started coughing, of course. And then someone put on Led Zeppelin four and I was like, I quit basketball. I want to be a musician. Like literally, like that's almost exactly how it went. Um, <laughs> like so, yeah. I remember, I remember the moment like it was yesterday. Like right. I took a giant rip of this, you know, huge joint, like the width of someone's pinky and. Um, next thing I know, someone's playing when the levee breaks and it all just sort of like coalesced and came together. And I was like, this is awesome, man. This is great. <laughs> right. The and de- then like the devil's that, lettuce took hold. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> it, well said, man. So then the basketball ship sailed right? and it was sort of music or bust from there on out. Not, right. not necessarily marijuana, but music or bust for yeah. sure. So <laughs> right, right. Yeah. This was, this was leading you down a, a road to uh, black tar heroin. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a gateway drug, right? So <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's interesting. So that you, uh, so you obviously like you, uh, diverted your, your path and like what, at that point, like, how was music kind of a part of your life? Because obviously, like, you know, usually you have music around with your parents and everything like that. But it sounds sure, like, yeah. It sounds like Led uh, Zeppelin was such a, a pivotal. That, well, yeah. That, I mean, that was sort of moment. the seminal moment. I mean, I I grew up for for sure. Like both my parents, uh, lovers of music. I mean, my mother is a very very fine violinist. Uh, she put the violin down when she had kids for a little while, um, but she picks it up from time to time. And her mother, my grandma. Uh, you know, had perfect pitch, taught music, like she was just a musical sensei. And I I mean, I used to just, I have recordings of her playing the piano that I still listen to. Um, And, you know, my dad, it was the kind of thing where like growing up when I was little on a Saturday night, my dad would put on a record and he'd rip out like the video camera and we'd all do like fake, you know, routines to 
whatever rock record he had kicking around. And um, I think I was kind of lucky, you know, because I was raised in a religious household that was kind of a little more on the, the evangelical side of Christianity, where it's like a really, you know, heart, spirit, emotional thing, mm-hmm. um, which usually sort of follows suit with a lot of more dogma and a lot of rules and a lot of like, you can't do this, you can't listen to rock music, you know, that's of the devil and all this shit. And uh, my parents were like actually pretty cool about all that stuff. Um, so there, yeah, there was always music around and it was always encouraged to sort of be like self-expressive and it, it wasn't like nearly as burdening or uh i guess strict as a lot of the people like when i went to college of course you know i'd hear horror stories of people who parents made them burn the records and they had to have like a prayer intercession for anyone that was listening to bob dylan or whatever and like Mm -hmm. i I lucked out that i didn't get that into the stick you know so yeah no that's really interesting because yeah i've definitely uh had people that have come on the show before um that are speaking from the point of you know there would have to be the lyric check when music Mm -hmm. is brought home and all that sort of stuff and but yeah it's interesting that you're uh, self-described obviously the sort of evangelical tip it's usually like you said, it's very cloistered and you're sectioned off from the world, but obviously exactly. that was yeah. your experience, which is, which is pretty, yeah, like it's, that's a rare experience. Yeah. I'm, I'm really thankful. You know, my, my parents are great people and they're really intelligent and they're very, you know, well-considered folks at the same time. They're also, you know, very emotional and they've got, they've got a beating heart in there that's always on display. So I, I was lucky to not get strapped with that insular classic, um, you know, anything that's not of the Lord is evil thing. Right. I was sort of allowed to pick for myself. I, I mean, growing up, it was just sort of, you want to come to church? I'm like, no, all right, you don't have to. It was, there was no overbearing overlord type thing with it. So it, it was, it was nice. Of course, I wasn't allowed to just run off the rails and go yeah. insane. And I, I didn't, luckily like that never befell me, but Right. Yeah. Well, so yeah, it sounds like there, which I think many people strive to live their lives. It sounds like there is a balance. It sounds like it didn't go in doubt. one direction yes. or another, which is yep. which is awesome. Um, and so then, obviously, like you, you said, you have that inflection point freshman year where you kind of go off, where it's just like, oh, music was your thing. It's like, did the uh, did the notion of like playing in a band was that the identifying uh, purpose or was it just simply the i guess the self-expression you felt as you were you know looking at yourself in the mirror and, and figuring out led zeppelin songs i think i think it was a little bit more of the latter um i it, it was definitely for me kind of a eureka moment where it was just like oh i found it um and it was like the light bulb went off in the head and everything and i think a lot of it was based around the ability well i mean one of the Probably, probably the most amazing thing about music to me is its ability to sort of communicate and clarify the things that are on your mind. Um, I think the art forms that anyone is attracted to, they usually gravitate towards the one that they feel most comfortable expressing the things that they're thinking and using it as sort of an instrument to do that with. And music was music was just the thing. You know, I started to learn the guitar and I was able to sort of help clarify how I was feeling about girls or how I was feeling about, you know... Uh, New England seasons or, you know, family life or what have you, whatever it may be, it was just a very natural um, manifestation, I guess, of all of those like kind of things that I've always had on my mind for as long as I can remember. And it, it definitely was just like, you know, 
hand in a glove type thing. So sure, it was. It was. I didn't really. Yeah, I didn't really picture being in a band so much. That sort of started happening in college. Like I said, when I sort of drifted away from the insular thing and met people, met folks who were also into music, and met drummers and bass players and saxophonists and whoever. And then that was where the sort of collective unit thing presented itself to me. But for for in the formative days, it was very much like I said earlier. It was more of an isolated experience, and I'm always grateful for that because. You know, it started out as like my own thing, like a private thing, and I'm sure it'll kind of metamorphosize back into that when I get older. Um, and right now, of course, I'm at the apex of band life and trying to make this happen with you know a bunch of other people with sort of different perspectives, but we also have like a shared love of music and of each other, and it, it's quite the it's quite the adventure, you know. But when I think back to those to the early days and the gravit gra- like. I don't know, just being drawn to music and what it was about that. I In college, I studied philosophy, and I, I've always really enjoyed that, and I've always really, I don't, I don't think, I, I'm, I'm certainly not an intellectual, um, but I think there was a little phase where I was into that, and I've always sort of been governed by, like, I guess, animal instinct more. Like, I'm a very instinctual person, and there was something about that sort of bedrock foundation of who I am that music really just connected to immediately. And I think one of the things that rock and roll does is it just fires up that part of you, you know, it really just inflames like the, the sort of animalistic side of human, of the human condition or people's tendencies, I guess. Hello, hello, hello. I will be getting back to the conversation with Phil, but I, I must break in and for let you know that the podcast today is sponsored by Zevia. Now you're like, what? What is what is Zevia? Like, I I've, I think I've heard of it. Maybe I've I've seen the name about. But you got it. I'm letting you in on some some amazing stuff here. So Zevia is a zero calorie, naturally sweetened soda. There's 15 different flavors to choose from. My personal favorite is black cherry. Just dive into that one first, and you'll be like, oh, Ray, this is the elixir of the gods. Thank you so much for putting this past my lips, and you're welcome. So visit zevia.com backslash flavors, and you can see the, uh, you know, like I said, 15 of these things. Like, you'll be able to drink whatever you want to taste like, maybe something like that. (laughs) Anyways, I also encourage you to visit zevia.com backslash podcast. So that's z-e-v-i-a dot com slash podcast. And it's, there are amazing things going on here. Like I said, zero calories, no sugar, no artificial sweeteners, no caramel color. There's no GMOs in there. And you can find it anywhere. So go to any grocery store, natural food store, or go to Amazon.com and you can find it there. And you order it and ships it directly to you. So visit the zevia.com backslash podcast link because they are giving away some, some cases. So if you visit that and uh, you know, sign up. You there's a good chance that you may get a case of soda on your doorstep, and it, it was exciting for me because this is a product that um, I personally have drank many, many times before. But you know, I just didn't drink it for a few years, and so then uh, because they started to show an interest in the podcast and come on as a sponsor, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get back in the saddle. I'm gonna check it out again. And what boy, what was I missing? <laughs> I was missing a lot. I actually told my mom, I was like, hey mom, it's great. Like, remember that product you showed me like five or six years ago? I mean, I didn't say product, but I said soda. <laughs> you remember that thing you showed me, you know, five, six years ago? She's like, yeah. And then I was like, I, they're, they're taking out out in the podcast. It's awesome. And she was like, why did you stop drinking it? I was like, you know what? That's my fault. I'm encouraging you to not make the same mistake that I did and stop drinking this stuff. So, yes, visit zevia.com backslash podcast. That's Z E V 
ia.com slash podcast and just enjoy. You will be able to thank me much later and be like, Ray, you got me onto that stuff. I appreciate that. One more thing and then we'll dive back into the conversation with Phil. But I'm so excited about this sponsor as well. Title Fight and Anti-Records. You remember Title Fight, Med. I had Med on who is the vocalist, bassist of the band. I don't know, this is maybe two years or so ago, but I've loved the band for quite some time. But Hyperview is their newest release, and let me tell you, it's a doozy. I love the record. It's uh, for, If you like stuff that not only sounds good, but is guitar-based, you will like it. So it's like, if you're into punks, you'll like it. If you're into like, shoegates, you'll like it. I promise that there is something for everybody in this record, which sounds crazy, but it's absolutely true. Um... My personal two favorite songs are Chlorine and Rose of Sharon. Those are just, those are what I got going on. Other people freaked out about the record. Like Stereo Gum loved it. And they, they've been touring relentlessly over the past year. They've been touring with their friends' bands, which I just love everything that this band does. Because it's very deliberate. Like I said, they tour with their friends' bands. They're not like, oh, like we got to tour with you know this band because they're going to get us more fans. They just do what they want. They're on their own program. And I love it. So please check out Hyperview on any streaming service or iTunes, and uh, you know because their 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 touring schedule is is kind of calming down now because obviously they got to go back in the studio, get another record going. I'm sure their creative juices are at an all time high, or maybe they just need a little break. But regardless, you can get Hyperview now on iTunes or any of your streaming preference platforms. So please do that, and thank you very much, Title Fight, and thank you very much, Anti Records. I think a lot of the people um, that uh, are creating music when they are in that sort of, you know, really volatile time of obviously high school where you're developing your own identity, you know, you hardly know who you are, but at the same time, you're also projecting this, this version of yourself out to a lot of people, but where you and obviously the other members formed Caspian was obviously at a place where you guys were, you know, a little more uh, mature for lack of a better term. Like Mm -hmm. you had, you know, you had... Uh, some life experience behind you and so i think because of that that to me that speaks of why because i mean in almost every interview and honestly i'm typically when i'm doing research for these interviews is usually you know i'm able to find like i don't know 10 or so interviews like you you do everything you like there are so many interviews that you do that all right blows my mind because yeah i'm I'm, we're trying to sort of parse it out a little bit more for this record i mean i yeah um, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm a founding member and Joe and I have sort of been the one constant, like in the band, like, you know, obviously Chris passed away and he was a founding member, but Cal, uh, Cal and I basically started the band, but of course, like, you know, Cal, um, like touring just kind of wasn't his thing. Like he, everyone sort of romanticizes tour and thinks that it's this wonderful, amazing experience. And it definitely is, but it's definitely not for everyone. And it was just the kind of thing that Cal was never really super into. Um, so when he dipped out of touring and then we got Aaron and it's been like a really amazing rotating cast of characters. But I think, you know, from day one, Joe and I have sort of been, we've played every show together. We've written every song together. Like we, we've been there from day one and Joe just quite frankly doesn't, really dig doing interviews um that's just not his style and most interviews sort of circle back on like the you know the history of the band and where what we've been through and how it started and how we're developing and all that and i think when it comes down to it i just kind of have to be like the go-to person for that you know um so yeah 
Yeah, I, I guess I think that's why. And I'm also just the tallest, and I stand in the middle of the stage. So. <laughs> right, by, de- by default. Yeah, by, by de fact. <laughs> right, by default, you kind of go there. But I think that, uh, anyways, the point I was trying to make was the fact that so many people allude to the fact like, oh my gosh, you guys have been a band for so long. But yeah. I think the the age in which you formed, not so much in like the year, but just like the fact that you guys were a little bit older, mm-hmm. gives you, like you said, a more solid foundation to kind of continue and not be this, you know, really volatile thing that most high school bands are, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like a, we weren't in like the tempestuous sort of mode of our life. Uh, it was, it was definitely, we had all been in bands and it was definitely the moment in which it was like, okay, like, are we going to keep doing music here as individuals? Is this going to be like what we're going to commit ourselves to? Or are we going to kind of pivot into adulthood? Um, and, you know, try to get homes and have kids and get married and all that stuff. And the way the first two or three years of the band went, it was just sort of patently obvious that all of us involved, like this is something that we really wanted to chase down. So yeah, it was definitely at that moment where it was, I don't want to over dramatize it, but you know, it was that crossroads sort of thing where it was like, all right, like what am I, what do I really want to do with my life here? It's time to start sort of figuring that out. Um, and like you said, I think we were, we've certainly grown up a lot in the last 11 years um, in a multitude of ways. But yeah, if that kind of experience had happened in high school or something, when it was just like three sheets to the wind, let's fucking do it, man. Like that would be, a, yeah, I, I think it probably would have combusted by now for sure. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, for without sure. a doubt. Totally. Yeah. You, you, you have to coordinate so much, but um, the, so, so like what, what was your, uh, did you have kind of a trajectory in your head, um, you know, kind of removing yourself from obviously um, starting a band and doing all that sort of stuff. Like you said, you were very introspective, philosophical. Um, was yeah. it one of those things you had another sort of quote unquote career path in mind or did you have any? Uh, Not really. I never, d- I know I never did. Um, in the back of my, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to kind of be a history teacher for high school. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not like I kept entertaining that or stoking the fire, even when the embers went low for it. I mean, it was was always in my mind around that time, but I never had like a chosen career path. I mean, my father's a really, he's a really brilliant, um, like entrepreneur, CEO, kind of like business, you know, he's, he's, he's really good at like, he had a couple businesses and I felt like maybe if I just sort of gave myself over to that, I could maybe accomplish that um, and do that just because... It's how I was weaned and how I was raised, and that's sort of where I'm coming from. Um, but there was never anything that really got me uh, got me excited uh, that I can point to sure. in that in that sort of realm of the world. Um, what, yeah, yeah. What I, was your, yeah? No, no. It, it totally makes sense because yeah, you you <clears throat> essentially most people spend their their high school and college years just you know quote unquote figuring out what they want to do exactly and you just yeah. try to find a voice but so what 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 sort of you know entrepreneurial stuff was your father into like was he well no my dad started he got started in the mid 80s like at the sort of computer boom so he was doing computer software stuff um hmm. and this is when he did backup shit so basically you know before the cloud and before you know computers have morphed into what they are now these big companies would require like just huge, almost like football field size supercomputers to back up all their data and all of their information and all that stuff had to get stored and it had to be protected so that in case the place burned down or whatever, um, that stuff was safe. And his company sort of 
you know, they, they invented something called Tapesys, which was something for VAX systems, which is like really archaic, like old computer stuff. Um, and yeah, he, started, he cut his teeth on that. And he, he was the president of this company called Software Partners for maybe 20, 25 years. Um, had its ups and downs. Eventually he sold it off at the end and was going to retire. And uh, my dad's the kind of guy that, you know, when he's reading the newspaper, he's got his glasses down low, or he's reading the, you know, I don't know, the like Life magazine or Time or whatever. If he sees a grammatical error, he sort of like cancels his subscription immediately and like pipes up and gets really like, you know, pissed off and bent out of shape about like poor grammar. That's always been one of his little quirks. And one day we were like, yeah, you should do something with this. He's like, well, I think I'm just going to retire here. And he's went out and started a company called proofreadnow.com, which is kind of a cool company. And it's weird talking about this because I feel like I'm being a salesman for it. And no. I also, <laughs> no, like, you, you, well, you, I mean, you see I the work, value I, in it. I, I, I do. And, like, I also, like, my day job, I guess, for, fuck, like 13 years um, has been working for that company. Uh, so my dad is, like I said, he's supportive of what we're doing. He was one of those classic people that when we started, when I showed him Caspian, he just was like, where's the singer? You know, like, this isn't going to get on the radio. I, I, like, are you on drugs? What's going on here? Like, <laughs> totally. this is some really weird shit. Because um, he's coming from the school of the Beatles and, you know, sort of classic rock. And now, of course, like, he, he came to every show to support and check it out. And, it's, you know, I mean, it's... It's hilarious. Like in 2005, he just had no idea what we were doing. He knew that I was serious about it, and this wasn't just like a sex, drugs, rock and roll thing. Like mm -hmm. I wanted to do this seriously, and I wanted to approach it with the same kind of valor and you know acumen, I guess, that someone would bring to a business. Um, he would come to the shows, and now you know, I mean, he went to our show at the Sinclair on Friday night and of course just gives me like these massive metaphors of like oh, the last song started as this small seed and then it grew into a tree and before and then it was a person and it's like <laughs> it's it's been really amazing to watch him come around and understand this stuff yeah especially like in the midst of him throwing me work so I I do sort of like administrative stuff for that company and it's it's a really cool business model um and this is not sales pitch time but it's the kind of thing where it's like you go to the website you have any kind of document you upload it to the server it gets sent out like 500 emails get sent out to 500 different proofreaders the first two people to get the email and look at the document proofread it from their house they send it back you get the job back in an hour um and it's proofread by, you know, professionals who have been tested and all this stuff. And it's really smart because, I mean, my dad, he just moved up to a farm with my mom um, and my sister and her kids. And he can run the whole thing from his cell phone pretty much. So It's amazing. He, it's, it's really, dude, it's actually pretty amazing. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, well, no, I, I could see, I mean, honestly, I can hear removing the sort of, um, you know, whatever, self-awareness, doubt inside your head that you're, you're talking mm -hmm. about this. It... it, it, it it's great because obviously people can, you know, th there's a service being provided. Um, it's obviously valuable. It comes from a very genuine place. Like you said, your, your dad is making <laughs> these very sweeping changes in his life based on the yeah, grammatical yeah. errors of magazines and whatever. So it's he's, like, he's passionate about it. He's as passionate about proofreading documents as I am, you know, writing a song or something, yeah. you know, like, yeah. 
Well, I think it's uh, you hit on something interesting there that that I wanted to pull on as well. Where um, because usually you know parents and them grappling with the idea of their their sons and daughters playing in bands that they don't understand. Like that is you know a tale as old as time. But it, it's funny because you know usually it's on kind of the opposite side of where you are coming from where you know your 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 kid starts a you know punk or hardcore or whatever something that's very abrasive and very loud a little more subversive and yeah totally totally yeah. but or or just the, more aggressive and so they you know parents will immediately look at that and be like oh why is my son or daughter yelling in a thing like this is weird uh, <laughs> yeah. but then but then you are coming at it from like it's this very you know nuanced and subtle thing that obviously builds on it and like clearly um even your your you probably your most basic listener the complaint that they could have towards a band like yours is like oh it just puts me to sleep but they're not going to right have... right which we take as the highest compliment possible but yeah yeah <laughs> totally but it's just funny that your your father had to uh, or both your parents I'm imagining had to reckon with the idea of just like yeah what I don't even know like yeah there's no vocals like there's there's just weird stuff going on I don't I don't even know where to put this in my head. Yeah, exactly. You can't compartmentalize it. You don't know how to approach it. It's just this sort of like obtuse thing that you're like, what is going on here? You know? Um, and to, like I said, if, if, and this has sort of been one of the inspirations is like, if someone like my father can come around and get this and like it actually has, now it's at the point where it has deep emotional impact, um, and within his, his, you know, his soul, then it's like, well, man, I mean, if he can come around to this, then anyone can come around to this. So I want—I got to keep doing this because there's more people out there who would approach this with sort of like the same guarded, like this doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so, I mean, I guess I'm viewing him a, a bit as a specimen in that regard, which I don't want to do, but, you know, it's like, it, it applies for sure. And sure. It's, been, it's been really beautiful to see, you know, and it's really encouraging. And anytime I meet someone that doesn't quite get it, like I don't write them off immediately. Like I'm, there, there's hope for them. <laughs> no, to- totally. Yeah. You're just like, uh-huh. this isn't some complete lost cause. Um, mm-hmm. so the, uh, cause obviously like as, as I mean, the band has changed, you know, I wouldn't say drastically, but obviously you guys have evolved each record, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, I'm sure obviously the first couple of years, um, especially just because the style of music that you play wasn't exactly uh you know commonplace within the independent music scene like people had maybe yeah. an inkling of it but it wasn't mm-hmm. um uh, it wasn't commonly known so uh, how i guess how long did it did it take for you to kind of uh, at least see um the audience at least begin to understand what it was that you guys are doing because i'm sure the first couple of years they were just like what the fuck is this well like, it's interesting i mean to be quite honest i mean when we brought so we started this band in 2003 and we didn't play a show for a year. We just, we had a practice space and we'd get together a couple nights a week and we'd just hang out and we'd play music and we'd just screw around and jam forever and just have a good time with the four of us. So we didn't have a band name. We didn't really want to play shows. We didn't want to go on tour. We didn't want to record anything. We just were like, just so enamored with this way of communicating like music you know it was just it felt so natural all of us and we were just completely thrilled so when we did play our first show in this neck of the woods um you know it was august 2004 we all had that post-college social friend scene so everyone brought their friends together and we packed out our local bar and we played this kind of strange instrumental dramatic music and it clicked with all of these all of these disparate groups of people that we were friends with that came out to that show i mean after that concert they were all like i 
it, it was kind of an immediate thing with them. Like it wasn't a slow burn. And these were all people that were, you know, listening to whatever styles of indie rock at the time. Um, so they were well-versed in music, but they hadn't really heard anything like this. And for them, it was kind of this, at that first show, it was this immediate thing. Like I'm very, I'm very critical. I'm just that kind of person. And after the show, I was like, Oh, I could have done this better. Or I could have played that, whatever. And, everyone came up to me and they were just like, you guys need to keep doing this. Like, I've never heard anything like this before. This is really special. Um, you guys have a good chemistry. I don't know what to call this kind of music. And I was just, of course, like, oh, this is post-rock. And people were like, the, that's a stupid word. Anyway, like, um, and it, it, was, it was really almost, it was almost immediate. And then we did a show a month later and there were twice the amount of people there. They wanted to see this strange music that no one had ever around this neck of the woods had ever heard before. And, you know, it just kind of caught fire. And I think I'm glad that we took that year to sort of fine tune what we were doing. We certainly weren't perfect at the time, but I mean, we had a, we had an established vision when we started this up. And I think people gravitated towards that. They sensed some kind of unification amongst the four of us. And then it was just sort of off to the races. And then, of course, when you, we got out of Beverly and we got out of Boston and started to go on tour and you're playing for six people or a bartender in Nashville or Tucson, Arizona or something, that's when you feel like that, that's when, okay, not, every, not everyone's going to get this. Not everyone's going to be knocked out the first time they hear this. It's, that's where like the slow burn element sort of comes into play with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what we were committed to. Like we were like, we're going to stay the course. Our first few tours are probably going to be real shitty, but we're going to make some really cool friends in the process. Um, we're going to have an experience like none other, and we're just going to keep doing it. And, you know, we were committed to, to, to doing that, and we did. And, you know, you'd come back, and you'd play for the same bartender with maybe 20 people instead of six. And they were like, you know, thanks for giving me a free copy of your record at that last show. I actually listened to it, and I actually really, I'm starting to get it. You know, and it was pretty cool to watch people sort of blossom in that way. You yeah, know? no, it's it's interesting because it sounds like you, um, you know, I think a lot of bands, especially these days, um, and not saying like you know, not trying to go down the nostalgia path, but getting this sort of that local. Uh, boost where that confidence mm -hmm. that you have where it's just like oh wow like maybe we are onto something that people right. are identifying with like because yep. if you guys didn't have that initially it might have been harder for you to um you know take those next confident steps as opposed to stay the course yeah, yeah totally man. yeah no it's yep. it, it's interesting i mean it's it's good that you had that experience because uh, yeah ultimately it obviously got you guys out to where you're at now yeah, that, that, those formative like i don't know first two or three months of us playing around here like preaching to the choir because these are supportive people who are our friends and wanted to see us succeed but like to see them like that i you know I've, I've actually never really thought about it this way so you're helping me kind of internally clarify some things which is really great and i really appreciate it but yeah i mean without that at the inception of this i it may have been a very different thing like it it's not like we played our first few shows to you know crickets uh there was like a supportive group of people present and i think that just immediately it's like we bought a new car and it tank was on empty and those first few like formative things just like filled it up full and then like we'd drain it on tour and then we'd come home and then they our friends would fill it back up again and then we'd go out and drain it and such and so forth but yeah i mean never have taken for granted that early support that we got from the people around here but it's 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 nice to be reminded so thanks for reminding me of that man yeah no problem I, we we both provide each other with a service <laughs> without a doubt yeah um 
And so the, uh, you know, due to the nature of your guys' music, obviously, um, you know, there is a large proliferation of this style of music that can obviously be placed in um, pretty much oh, any yeah. circumstance from movies to sports, video games, whatever. Um, yeah. I'm sure you guys have had sort of uh, limited placement in regards to that because, I mean, you know, I'm not going to pretend that uh, I've heard you guys' song on like Monday Night Football or anything. Not like I watch football, but I have. <laughs> still, but still, yeah. the point, point being taken. But I'm sure you guys have had these really sort of weird, mind-blowing experiences of, wow, our music is being used in this weird way. Um, do you have any sort of like anecdotes of like, wow, I didn't expect our, our, our song to be used as a bed of music in this thing? Yeah, I, I mean, we, uh, let's see, one of the first major, well, I mean, we got screwed in the Olympics, let's put it that way. So there was some feature, this was back in 2007 or eight, the 2008 Olympics, and they were doing some feature on like a ski jumper or whatever, and they went to his hometown, and um, all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, like our music just like popped up, and I sort of, I literally, I mean, I was watching this live, I was sort of one eye on the floor one eye on the tv not really paying attention and i was like that sounds familiar then i got of course a million text messages it was like they're playing your music on nbc and that was like a shock and it was great of course we didn't get a dime from it um nbc cited some like ephemeral usage thing or something but that that came out of nowhere and that was like okay well we're on someone's radar that's really cool mm-hmm. uh you know hbo used I think Moksha for like a Mayweather Marquez thing in like 2009. That was really great. No one's really used our music for anything super bizarre or strange. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not like we've been on like, you know, like a tampon commercial or something like that. Like, <laughs> totally, totally. It's, uh, it's always been a lo- most, most all of the time, except for that first time. Uh, it's all been really above boards and gone through the proper channels. Um, Right. No, it's it's still cool. It's just yeah. It's always um, I just always find it interesting when when bands that e- either sound like you or obviously can be placed. Uh, you know, they're very versatile. It's just always yeah. interesting because like you know whatever you can obviously cite explosions in the sky and Friday uh-huh. Night Lights being like that would never make sense. You know, like a you know rapid action football movie and like you know instrumental music like what? But so yeah, I just always find it, it, it works so well because of the indigenous element of that. You it's know? true. Like the Texas thing and like the the sort of the way that that film was done i mean it, it and yeah like on paper it would just sort of be like i'm not really seeing this but that that was one of those magical it all came together perfectly type scenarios which is which is very rare but i think that you can attribute i mean the majority of their success to, to that sort of not not a happy accident because obviously it wasn't an accident but yeah you yeah. know for sure no definitely um the uh it seems like obviously because of of what you guys have all obviously put into your band and sort of dedicated, you know, essentially how prolific you've been with, you know, regular releases and you guys are, are active from a touring perspective. You guys have obviously built your life centered around the fact that you could play in a band. Like you all obviously have jobs in which you can leave and come back yeah. and do all this. Yeah. Um, I presume that was a very deliberate decision at some point along the way. Walk me through the, that. Walk me through. In terms of like the, the day jobs and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, Joe has been working at the same Starbucks. He's been there for 12 years. They promoted him to shift manager, uh, a couple months ago, which he deserved and was great, but he's got allegiance to that spot. Aaron's a professional guitar teacher, so he's got his sort of pack of students that he can call the shots and say, I'm going to be gone for a couple months. Um, you know, here's a guy you might like. 
and I'll be back this day. Um, Yanni is just sort of doing free, uh, freelance stuff. Johnny is doing carpentry, so he's just sort of getting jobs when he can take them. And, you know, it's like when everyone, when we're home working, it's like you kind of camel up and you stockpile up like as much as you possibly can. And I think it's turned, it's given everyone like a sense of, of work ethic and sort of an indirect way that's really great. Because um, when you're home, it's like you got to make the most of it and you got to really hustle and you got to pay the bills and you got to, have an understanding of where you fit into whatever sort of job you're doing. And I think it's sort of like developed some really good traits with everybody uh, in terms, like I said, just in terms of the work ethic, but not a lot of it's changed. No one's really bounced from place to place and then started working somewhere. And they said, you're going on tour, you're fired. And then they come back and find a new job. It's all been pretty, it's all been pretty steady. Yeah. Um, that's incredible. It's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's like an ideal situation. Cause I always find it, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry, um, I always find it interesting because I, I think there is this weird um, disconnect. Like, I, granted, I'm going to use an example that's going to seem bizarre, but I'll walk you through it. So, like a, pers- a person like Eddie Murphy, where obviously it's like he's you know one of the most brilliant comedians of all time, and obviously sure. he hasn't done stand up in years and years and years because you know I think there's 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 people that say like obviously he's afraid. Clearly, he's a bajillionaire. What he what could he complain about? Because all of his early comedy is obviously directly from, you know, his experience growing up on the streets, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, I think there's a notion that can be connected to bands where it's like, once you're given the opportunity to, you know, live off your band and have that be the, the sole income. And then you're not attached to anything real back at home besides just like waiting for the next tour. There is that weird sort of disconnect that, that people start to feel where they don't mm-hmm. even, they're not even participating in quote unquote real life. Cause obviously mm-hmm. touring isn't real life. So right. I, I'm sure you guys have obviously, um, like you said, I think it's developed a work ethic. It, it's developed a work ethic and it's something that sort of kept us grounded because there's those times like you can probably well imagine where you come home from tour and you've been separated from so yeah like normal life tour is i think very accurately like you said it's not real life in any way shape or form i mean you have to work and you have to get up and do your thing and you know you can't sleep all day but yeah it's it's not real life in any way shape or form and to come back to those sort of fixed um steady entrenched in the real world experiences like work or relationships or whatever i mean i think they definitely like we said earlier you know it, it speaks to the balance and that's very healthy um yeah and it's, it's i think it's been really good for us i mean that said of course we would love to get to a point where we could do our music exclusively and we could just be able to focus on i, I think we're the kind of people that if we were given that opportunity i don't think we'd squander it and we'd go down a black hole of emptiness and despair and you know alcoholism and drug use and just sort of <laughs> fucking ourselves up um well, especially, especially because you've obviously, I mean, at this point, because you've been doing it for so long, like you would be able to plug into that scenario relatively. Easily. Exactly. Yeah. This, those experiences have engendered a sort of sense of responsibility that's like really important to us, and I, I'm, I, I think we'll we'll be grateful for those if Lord, you know, like, if we're ever able to get to that point where this can sustain us, I think we'll be thankful for for the grind that we have to put ourselves back into in a different way after tour. You know, one hundred percent. No, definitely. Um, there's two last things I want to hit on before I let you go. Helping us see the brighter side. I like that. (laughs) Well, but I mean, it it is, it it takes, (laughs) there, there takes a certain discipline to, um, cause obviously like you, like you mentioned earlier where people, um, on the outside that experience, um, you know, bands and tours coming through, it's like, you know, that's all entertainment and they view 
the the relationship with your band or your artistry as you know it's very transactional like no one puts any thought into it people just Mm -hmm. think like oh yeah dude like it's so rad you showed up for tour and cool but then it's like when you you know pull back the veneer and realize it's like oh my gosh like this is you know touring is hard it's not every single day same thing yeah exactly there's it's a lot of hurry up and wait for like 45 minutes of playing you know (laughs) yeah exactly man have you been on tour before it sounds like you understand it very well yeah i do i toured for years with uh all right there you go yeah with a bunch of hardcore bands i played in for a while so yeah no, i know i i identify with that but the um the 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 conceit of what it is you're, you're you're going for because you have existed for so long and you're just like well this is like there's really no other way around this like we're doing this because we obviously like to do it and we're dedicated to this and um everything else is kind of just like noise around it it's periphery yeah for sure man yeah um the <clears throat> Because you guys have obviously not sort of uh, attached yourself or attributed yourself to one particular scene, like you know, like we were joking around, where it's like you know, you're you're all the band members came from such varying backgrounds. Um, is is it one of those things? Like, do you guys kind of like look at both sides of the coin? And like, at times, do you wish you're like, man, I wish we were aligned with one scene because we may have more people into us. And then never, okay. no, <laughs> hell no. Okay, yeah absolutely not i mean and that's the thing is like trying to shed the the post-rock thing has been even kind of difficult for us um and we do it with varying degrees of success and sometimes we fall flat on our face discussing it and sometimes we articulate it well but yeah i mean we the the foundational principle and i think one of the things that attracted us to this style of music way back when it's like i i mean i maybe it's naive maybe i should know better at this point after doing it for 11 years but i mean i really i still do feel like this kind of music is for anyone that likes music i mean it doesn't you could like heavy music soft music um plaintive emotional stuff really hooky immediate candy coated whatever i think i I, i've always felt like this style of music does lend itself to sort of like just a broader non-genre you know, prescriptive type thing. And it's always, that's always been like really central to what we do. Um, it hasn't necessarily governed the creative process. When it comes to creative process, we just try to write songs that we would want to listen to and that we would enjoy. Um, but in terms of like associating ourselves and like drawing, you know, planting our flag in one kind of music and then hurting from that scene is just never, uh, that's just not the kind of people we are, I guess. And I don't, I, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think that that's like a smart move and I, I totally get why people do it. Um, people long for a sense of association. And I think that in the, the day, some people do prefer that definition that is like, okay, like, you know, you're a punk rock kid, like you're a post rock dude. Like you are a top 40, you know, flavor of the flavor of the month type thing. And I think people, people welcome that sense of self-definition and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with it. But it's just that's not the kind of folks that we are. Like we we want as many as many possible people to hear our music. Like I don't know. I think where was it? It was in like San Francisco. We did this show a couple of weeks ago, and so this really nice club. Uh, it was totally sold out, which was great, and it made us all stoked. And we were high fiving, and we're like, "It's about time we sold out a show here." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then we walk out, and you look at the audience, and it's like there's a 68 year old like grandma with purple hair, uh, like slowly 
you know, daintily sipping like a glass of like pink wine or something. And then right in front of her is like, you know, just like Avril Lavigne, like punk rock chick straight up, probably like 17 years old. Um, and then there's, you know, there's all shapes and sizes. And like when we look out and we walk around the crowd and we see that to us, that makes us feel like we're, we're doing, we're on the right path. Like we're accomplishing the goal. Like there's no, there's no code at this stuff. You know, it's just like, you like music, you like the band come, come into the door. Like you're not going to get judged on like how worn out your jeans are or like, you know, if you have the right kind of fucking pomade or something in your hair, like it's just for people that just like music. And that's always been our MO and we we've stuck to our guns on that. And I think that's one of the reasons why the post rock thing has been so kind of, We've, we've, we bristle at the term is because that's that definition. That's something that sort of quarantines you into this one area of music that you're not allowed to escape and you have to play by the rules and there's a dogma attached to it and you got to like preach to that choir. And, you know, we could, I think we could go out and write a record of nine or 10, 12 minute songs that start really mellow and get really heavy and crescendo and get epic, which, you know, our stuff crescendos for sure. But like we could go out and write like a prototypical post-rock record, you know, prove our allegiance to that scene. And there would probably be a hundred or 200 people more at every show. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just not, that's never been interesting to us, I guess. It's just not, that's not why we got into it. And that's not not your goal. That's not what you're striving for. It's not, yeah. We're sticking to our guns, and like I said, I like necessarily. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I know people that have their allegiance to the straight edge stuff and mm-hmm. whatever sort of scene of music that they're into, and there's that affiliation, and that's great. Um, it's just, it's just not us, you know. Yeah, no, for sure. The uh, the last thing I want to hit on was because um, it, usually I, I hate to bring up things that obviously every other person brings up in interviews, but I just mm-hmm. I, I noticed that it's like almost everybody is just so confounded by the fact that it's like, why are you instrumental? Like, did you accidentally choose that? Like, (laughs) it's one of those things that I just like, I mean, honestly, it's like, here we are in 2015, like, and people are still kind of like asking you that question. Like, did you guys mean to not have a singer? And it just, I don't know. It just blows my mind where it's like, I don't know. I mean, granted you and I are people who have been, you know, very close to music for a long time, but I just, so, The, the, it, it tell, this is a little pet theory that I have where um, – because I, I Bring think, it on, man. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, I think people, especially from the interviewing context, that kind of put that notion out there um, don't – like the only reason they ask that question are the fact that they don't have any sort of um, thematical things to pull from in regards to, you know, lyrical content, <clears throat> whatever it is that, that that a band is trying to express from just the, the sheer, um, you know, expression of words in whatever it is that they're doing. So I just think that that's why people like are have that reflexive moment where it's just like, oh crap, I can't look at lyrics to be like, hey, what does this song mean or whatever. Exactly, I've lost my point of reference here. Like I don't know where to, I don't even know where to how to approach this it's because it's so familiar. Is that is that sort of what you're going for? Like it, it to- totally. That's like that. That's the notion that that, that yeah. that's your entry point to music or that's yeah. your entry point to a band. So I'm just sure. I'm sure it's one of those things where you're just like, I can't even answer the question of like, why are we instrumental anymore? I I don't, I. I, I I have the utmost respect. I mean, ninety-eight percent of the music I listen to, rock, rock-wise, is you know, there's there's a singer, um, there's lyrics, there's a vocalist, and I, I mean, it's kind of a dummy answer, but I think part of it is like we're not. That's just not what we're good at. Like, you have to be, 
you have to have a, a, a skill set to be able to articulate what you feel lyrically. That's not easy. I mean, there's people that try and do really, you know, they're terrible at it. But then there's also, you know, your Leonard Cohens and your Nick Caves and your Bob Dylans who just do it really well. And like, we're just, that's not part of our skill set. We've just never been good at it. And I think um, acknowledging that and just saying like, that's just not our thing. has been like this nice little easy out because then we don't have to play ball by that stuff. You know, like we can just do whatever we want. It's like, okay, like, it's just not what we're good at. So, and I guess thankfully, you know, by the laws of fucking post-rock, like we don't have to do that. Wonderful. So it's not this like, you know, vocals are evil and lyrics suck. It's like, if you're going to do it, they have to be pretty good. And like, I was in a band before Caspian. It's called Holly Sawyer Rifle Company. We never really got out of Boston. We didn't really try. Um, you know, the singer in that band was a good friend of mine, and he was a really great lyricist. Like, he just wrote these unfucking believable lyrics. I don't know where they came from. He, he had that. He had that skill. He had that ability. And when we were starting this band, it was like none of us really have that ability. So let's not try to pretend that we do by incorporating lyrics just because you're supposed to. You know, um, and that kind of fits into the, you know we're comfortable expressing ourselves instrumentally. We've always felt from day one, like I was saying earlier, we have things on our minds. We want to get them across. That's the purpose of art. And we're accomplishing that with these songs. And I'm able to, I'm able to express how I feel about a litany of things with this kind of music that doesn't involve vocals. So, I mean, it's kind of like a, you know, side of the same coin thing, but like, yeah, we're just, that's never been like what we're good at. And I think we're also just, we're really comfortable expressing ourselves this way. And it just, it just feels right. It feels natural, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. This it, It's actually something that I've been, I've been kind of coming to grips with myself over the past couple of years in regards to like live music. Um, like, uh, I'll, I'll use a very recent example. Like this past weekend, I saw Sufjan Stevens play. Um, oh, wow. And yeah. he, like, I, I've, I've enjoyed his music for a long time, but I'm at this weird spot where it's like uh, artists of a certain ilk uh, that are, you know, whatever. It can be broadly classified as like indie rock. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're not, uh, when I say they, like the collective they, um, yeah. they don't need to be... Uh, engaging in the sense of like because you know i self-identify as a punk and hardcore kid and like shows to me are obviously a visceral experience you know it's like whatever mosh pit circle pit sing-alongs and so yep. here's here's me obviously having to reckon with the idea of watching a band like literally get up there in front of me and perform without you know any artifice like they don't have to <laughs> toss their guitars around or do anything like that so it's like I, I realized that it's like, okay, I can't watch a band of that nature that's like, like uh, again, I'll, I'll kind of get another example where it's like I watched that band Wild Nothing. Um, it was about maybe a year, year and a half ago. Um, they played the Glass House in Pomona, which I know is a venue you're familiar with. Um, yep, definitely. And, you know, they just got up there and, and just played. Like, there was no... Um, there's nothing no in, pomp no, no like yeah. totally and honestly it was like watching paint dry i was like if i wanted to listen to the record i would listen to the record and i wanted there you go. i wanted a little something more out of that but anyways going back to sufjan where it's like he you know the, he, beautiful production like you know cool like great lights like everything added to this overall vibe and experience and i think that is ex that's essentially what you are obviously just hitting on right there where it's like when people come to see caspian you want to um you know leave people with this this emotional resonance that isn't just like simply watching people get up there and play because i mean you guys you know to be clear like you guys are actually pretty active and i feel like are engaging live it's not just like you're getting up there and you know going through the motions or whatever right totally yeah i mean that's always once again that we just sort of 
that's how we perform our music. I mean, all our bands prior, even if it's Cal's chill folk stuff or whatever, like we're all kind of freaking out on stage. We have this kinetic energy and we brought that to Caspian and it's, it's, it's staying with Caspian. Like that's how we, that's just how we move. And that's what we do. Um, this tour was cool because we were really able to kind of up the production and uh, do some light stuff that was really dope. Like it was, it, we, we got a guy out with us that was sort of helping us sort of explore. It's like we know we can get on stage and headbang and sweat and go crazy and feel the music. And it, it, it's like a very physically present experience when you see us. But we kind of wanted to just not rely on that exclusively. And then we wrote this coordinated light show into it. And it was like... I feel like it was it was a step in the right direction. So we definitely want to start getting into like a production that, you know, involves us doing what we do naturally, which is moving around and being really physically active, but also like getting some like visual element in there. And I don't mean like videos of someone snowboarding to like epic post-rock music or like <laughs> right, right, right. You know what I mean? Or like real trippy psychedelic stuff, but like yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's someone like Sifion Stevens, like they're telling a story we're all trying to tell stories here with our music, but I mean, lyrically, vocally, I think just his presence, his demeanor, just what he's, what he's communicating lyrically speaks for itself. Um, and he doesn't need to do a whole lot. You know, he's got the, he's got that amazing, I saw him at, uh, the, the Wang center here in Boston. And I was just floored by that show. I mean, mm -hmm. I was knocked out. Like it was, it, it did kind of feel next level to me, but also with that softer um, kind of music, which is the kind of music that I listen to in my like you know spare time. Um, there's there's a sense of reverence with that stuff too, and I think that you know that that the stage presence that he has or his musicians have really lend themselves really really well to that sort of like yeah the, the more reverent atmosphere um and everything he did i mean the backdrop looked like like a church cathedral or something right mm -hmm. like the way the visuals were set up and yeah no for sure there's a unified story there and i, I think that's really impressive Totally. And, and the fact, too, where it's like I, I feel like you you have to reach a certain level in order to be able to, um, you know, you have to be playing 2000 capacity theaters in order to, like, reach this level where it's like your, your stage show can be engaging. Um, you can still tell the same story. You haven't lost mm -hmm. any of that emotional resonance. And, yeah, it was it was. Yeah, I agree. It's very powerful. But that's what we're going for. I mean, I, my, my dream is to not it's not to play stadiums. It's not to do basketball arenas. It's like the 1500 2000 cap thing where you can just create an experience for people. Um, that's that's kind of what we're gunning for. And I don't know. I mean, we're getting a little closer to that, but it's a slow, once again, a slow burn, you know. So, yeah, yeah. no, that's that's incredible. Well, Phil, I really, really appreciate you hanging out, and I, I'm glad we went in so many different directions. I love this. Yeah, man, I, I like thank you so much for like not ripping out the stock questions and just. I mean, I really just kind of felt like I was sitting at a bar talking to a buddy, and that's <laughs> that's very that's very rare in an interview. Um, and I really sincerely appreciate it, dude. Like, thank you. Um, you're you got a great vibe, and your questions are really thoughtful and. You're a very well-spoken person, dude. So, like, yeah, I, I really appreciate, like, being involved in this, man. 100%. Oh, you're, you're, you're making me blush, Phil. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. I, I, I think that was a little too much of the uh, me watching the Fargo television series trying to creep in there. Okie dokie there. Trying to do a horrible Minnesotian, North Dakotian <laughs> accent. But, uh, yeah, that was Phil. 
I hope you, uh, yeah, like I said, just check out Caspian. Um, hopefully this conversation will kind of spurn you on to do so, but uh, just a great band. And I really am happy with uh, their trajectory of their career. Like, you know, when you watch a band, you're just like, hey, you're, you're, you're doing it. You're doing the thing. You play to 100 people, you're playing to 150 people, and then it's like now you're playing to four to 500 people, and it's awesome because it's not like their music is playing the radio. <laughs> So, uh, anyways, big thanks to Phil. Uh, big thanks to Mark, the manager, who uh, hooked us up in the first place. And, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate that. So, uh, our producer, as always, is Tom Richfield. And he is in a band called Hindsights. So, uh, Google Hindsights UK. And you can maybe see some uh, some tour dates of him. And, like I said, if you see him out and about, just be like, Hey, Tom, like what you do with the show. Because that's all he needs to hear. Um, visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. And you can also email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. So I'm about to do some more interviews for the show, so I must depart. But until next week, please be safe, everybody. And for those of you that live in America, happy Thanksgiving because, like, it's the day before Thanksgiving. So, um, you know, maybe don't kill a turkey. You know, maybe, like, uh, eat some veggies or something like that. You know, there's, there's my political message. Hopefully that filters through to the, you know, 10 people who still stay on to listen to this outro. But... Um, yeah, you know, maybe be a little compassionate. Don't don't kill as many things today. So, happy Thanksgiving, and I will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.